0: This is The Why of Where, a podcast that tries to answer the why, what, where, when, who and how about the world we live in. My name is Rob Flynn, and in this episode, the question I'll be asking is, what is the only country on earth that still has a Soviet flag? The ugliest flag. (laughs) Oh, the last country with the Soviet flag. Uh, There's something I definitely don't know. Um, What does a Soviet flag look like? What's the difference between a Soviet flag and then one with the hammer and sickle? I don't know, somewhere Russian? Or Liberia, maybe? Russia? I don't know. I haven't a clue. Um, that will have to be Russia, wouldn't it? Russia? I would have assumed it was Russia. I don't know. Russia. I mean, it's not Russia. Ooh. Um, is it Kazakhstan? Does that still have a Soviet flag? Are they islands? Are they oh is it Kalingrad? Mm, I don't know. Ukraine. <laughs> um somewhere in Asia. I'm going to go with China. <laughs> I don't know. It's not Vietnam. I know they're still communists, but they don't have a hammer and sickle, do they? Is it one of the stands? Like Turkmenistan or Kyrgyzstan or um Turkmenistan? Or one of those? Oh, it's probably the one from, um, oh my God, what's it called? It's probably the one from the Princess Diaries, isn't it? That, that country? Go via Oh, Genovia. Genovia. It's Genovia. I don't know if they have a flag. They probably have a flag. Okay. I have to complain and say that might have been a bit of a trick question, because this country might not be a country in the strictest sense. Please refer to episode 1 for a deep dive on that particular topic. But it does tick a lot of the boxes, and what perhaps is most surprising is its location in Eastern Europe. And what's more is that it isn't even the only example of a country that's not really a country in Europe. And it's the common history that they all share that'll help me answer why exactly it's held onto a Soviet flag for so long. So, the region in question is Transnistria. Yep, that Transnistria, the well-known nation we all hear so much about. Yeah, that was a bit of an unfair question. Anyway, Transnistria, also known as the Pridnestrovian Moldavian Republic or PMR, is located in Eastern Europe, bordered by Moldova to the west and Ukraine to the east. It's a narrow strip of land, about 200 kilometers long, but just 2 kilometers wide at its narrowest point. It has a population of about half a million people and its name is derived from the River Dniester, which forms its boundary with Moldova. It has many of the characteristics of a normal country, including its own government, military, police force, currency, including the first ever plastic coins to be legal tender, as well as a constitution, national anthem, and flag. And given that the question of this episode focuses on that flag, let's take a brief diversion to discuss it. The Transnistrian flag consists of three horizontal stripes of red, green and red, with a yellow hammer and sickle with a star above it in the upper left corner. That symbol is a pretty big indicator that, as the episode title suggests, Transnistria was formerly a part of the USSR. During the fall of the Soviet Union, Transnistria, like over a dozen Soviet republics in Eastern Europe and Central Asia, declared its independence. And ostensibly, it has been independent ever since, for almost 30 years. That's just as long as Estonia, Ukraine or Kazakhstan. So why hasn't the PMR got the same recognition as they have? And why on earth does it still use its Soviet era flag? Well, as is often the case with these things, it's complicated, with the answers to these questions tied up in a tangle of ethnic, cultural and political disputes going back many years. The reason few have heard of Transnistria is because it has no formal recognition internationally, instead being considered by most countries as an integral part of Moldova, where it's designated as an autonomous territorial unit with special legal status, which is a pretty good indicator that they have no real control over it. However, it is recognised by three other regions with curiously similar histories. Artsakh, Abkhazia and South Ossetia. All three also consider themselves to be independent countries, but as with Transnistria, they have little formal recognition beyond each other. Like Transnistria within Moldova, the other three are also viewed by most as regions within countries. Artsakh is viewed as part of Azerbaijan, and both Abkhazia and South Ossetia are considered part of Georgia. Those Georgian breakaway states are probably the most notable internationally as the focal point of the Russo-Georgian War of 2008, a five day conflict that resulted in hundreds of deaths, over 200,000 people displaced, and is considered to be the first European war of the 21st century. And it's there that we get to the elephant in the room, the big player in all of this. The Russian Federation which has played a decisive role in the fates of these four states. Although Moscow nominally hasn't had any control over any of them since the end of the Soviet Union, and in the case of Transnistria, doesn't officially recognise its independence, it has supported them politically, economically, and militarily ever since. So although the PMR and those other breakaway states have declared their independence, in many ways they never truly broke from the Soviet bloc. And this is borne out by studies done in those regions, which show that, in all of them, a significant majority believed the breakup of the Soviet Union was a bad thing, with around 70% of Transnistrians believing so. And, to bring this back to the subject of its flag, if you wanted any further clarification of where Transnistria's allegiances lie, in 2017 they adopted a second official flag, to go along with their Soviet one. The new one is three horizontal stripes of white, blue and red, which just so happens to be the same as the Russian flag, but I'm sure it's just a coincidence. So what makes Transnistria different from the rest of Moldova? Why were the people on one side of the River Easter content to break from the Soviet state, but those on the other side, not so much? Well, because historically, These two regions have charted quite different paths, and for most of that time, they weren't a unified political entity. The region of Bessarabia, which broadly aligns with present day Moldova excluding Transnistria, has strong historical ties with its neighbour Romania. Culturally and ethnically, they share very similar roots, and the Moldovan language is literally just Romanian, save for a few colloquialisms. Transnistria was less strongly associated with Romania and had a more mixed ethnic makeup, and often ended up aligned with Russia and Ukraine instead. Now, that's a big generalisation, and certainly the two share many commonalities, but basically, all you need to know is that they've both changed hands many times over the years, and that it's only really since the Second World War when the USSR claimed both regions from Romania. That they were unified politically within the Moldavian SSR. And it was during this period, particularly under the Stalin regime, that millions of people were forcibly relocated within the Soviet Union, in an effort to minimise dissent and the influence of so-called anti-Soviet ethnic or social minorities. Around half a million Moldovans were deported from the Moldavian SSR under Stalin, and around 300,000 ethnic Russians settled there, primarily in Transnistria. This has meant that, even today in the PMR, the proportion of ethnic Russians and Moldovans is roughly equal at about a third each, with another quarter of Ukrainian ancestry. So as the Soviet Union collapsed, suddenly national borders were rapidly re-established, but the demographics of those new nations were now very different to what they had been before and suddenly many people found themselves as ethnic minorities within countries that they had no ancestral ties to. It's perhaps unsurprising that, when a country the size of the United States, European Union and Australia combined, was split up pretty hastily into more than a dozen newly independent countries, there were a few problems, and numerous regional wars broke out, including the Transnistria war. The Transnistria war was preceded in 1990 by the first free elections in the Moldavian SSR. They saw the election of a pro-Romanian ethnic nationalist party that instigated policies that discriminated against Russians and other ethnic minorities, with many believing their aspiration was the eventual reunification of Moldova and Romania. Tensions quickly rose in Transnistria, with its greater proportion of ethnically Russian citizens. So, in 1991, when Moldova officially declared its independence, Transnistria did the same soon afterwards. Within months, war broke out over this dispute, with Moldovan forces on one side, and Transnistrian troops backed by the Russian military on the other. Due to their Russian support, the PMR was able to repel the newly formed Moldovan military, and after 4 months and around 1000 deaths, A ceasefire was declared in July 1992. However, a formal peace treaty was never signed, so the region has been in a state of frozen conflict ever since. And that more or less brings us up to today. If you walk around the streets of Tiraspol, the PMR's capital, you'll still see the Red Star adorning public buildings and factories. You'll see a statue of Lenin in front of their parliament which also is known as the Supreme Soviet, and streets named after famous Russians, such as Chekhov, Tolstoy and Yuri Gagarin. You'll pay for your groceries in rubles, although Transnistrian ones, and all the signs there will be in Russian. Many people who have visited the region have described it as if they've travelled back in time, as if the Soviet Union had never fallen. And it's not just the iconography of the era that remains. There are around 1200 Russian soldiers still permanently stationed in the territory, maintaining their presence ever since the ceasefire. These ostensible peacekeepers are there to, according to the PMR's news agency, quote, strengthen stability and security in the region. Unsurprisingly, they're also one of the main bones of contention between Moldova and Transnistria today. So, this current limbo status of Transnistria. Soviet flag, statues, symbolism and all, clearly isn't a lasting solution. At some point, this region will be integrated into the international community, in a more formalised capacity. But what form will that take? Well, there have been various attempts to resolve the issue over the years, and some have come reasonably close. But currently, they seem to be at an impasse, with worsened relations between Russia and the West over the past decade having only further obstructed any chance at high-level diplomacy on this issue. But assuming there was the political will for a diplomatic resolution, there are three broad potential avenues that could be taken. The first is some sort of formal reunification with Moldova. This may be in a unified state, likely with special status and devolved powers for Transnistria, or some sort of two-state federation. Although this would be the preferred outcome for Moldova and most of the international community, there are significant hurdles to this, not least that this is the least favoured option among Transnistrians, with only 15% of the population supporting this result, according to a 2009 study. However, despite the political differences between those on either side of the River Dniester, One aspect in favour of this option is that they do have a surprisingly pragmatic economic relationship, including relatively free movement and substantial cross-border trade. This is crucial as the need for greater prosperity in both regions is acute. Moldova is the poorest country in Europe, 124th globally in GDP per capita, below India, Libya or Vietnam, and Transnistria is likely at a similar level. And although Transnistria's political complexities are plain to see, the situation in Moldova is far from straightforward either. Due to the current intransigence between Western Europe and Russia, many countries in Eastern Europe have been left with the unenviable zero-sum choice between their alliances east and west. Moldova continues to wrestle with this, and although it has trended towards closer integration with Europe, Russia still holds significant cultural and economic influence. This is also likely the reason why Russia strategically has chosen not to formally recognise the PMR's independence. If Moldova and Transnistria were ever to formally reunite, it is likely that the Transnistrian population would tip the entire country towards Russia's influence, ensuring the Kremlin held much greater sway over the region in the longer term. Either way though, the potential economic benefits for a reunified state are considerable But there are many unanswered questions about what it would mean for the future. And regardless, there are few in Transnistria, right now, who would consider it the best option going forward. The second option would be for Transnistria to become a fully independent country. This is quite popular among Transnistrians, as the preferred choice of roughly a third of the population, and would, on the face of it, seem to be the most straightforward way towards a peaceful resolution. This argument is strengthened by the fact that, in many ways, it has been operating independently for decades, and in 2006, the PMR held a referendum on this very question of independence combined with free association with Russia, which passed with 97.2% in favour. However, as with the dubious Crimean referendum a few years later, the legitimacy of this vote was questioned internationally, and it's probable the figures were inflated. But it does seem quite likely that such a vote would pass in any case. Transnistria also requested observer status from the United Nations in 2017, as a step towards formal independence. But due to opposition by Moldova and Western countries, formal recognition of any kind certainly wouldn't be imminent. And it's hard to see right now how the PMR in its current form could cope financially without any Russian support. So Western nations would be concerned that, by officially gaining independence, it would inevitably become a vassal state to Russia anyway. The third solution would be some sort of formal integration within Russia. Despite not sharing a land border with it, 500 kilometers of Ukraine is in the way. This is comfortably the most popular option among Transnistrians, with roughly 45% choosing it as their preferred outcome. In 2014, following the annexation of Crimea, many considered Transnistria as a likely next flashpoint in Russia's apparent push for territorial expansion. And appropriately, that very year, the head of the Transnistrian parliament straight up just called for their entry into the Russian Federation. However, given the immense influence it already holds there, Russia would probably have little to gain from its formal annexation in the short term. Given that it would inevitably further escalate already fraught tensions with the West. That being said, a decade ago, people probably would have thought the same thing about Crimea and the Donbass region. So I wouldn't rule it out completely. But on balance, none of these solutions seem particularly likely in the next few years. As with Artsakh, South Ossetia, and Abkhazia, the half a million people who call Transnistria home, probably won't have any more certainty of their status in the near future. Those born after the fall of the Soviet Union have lived their entire lives in this limbo state of frozen conflict. And life does go on there. Despite the anachronistic embellishments, daily life isn't so different to that in other parts of the region. Many people there work in heavy industry, manufacturing and agriculture. They practice their religious faith most of whom are Eastern Orthodox, and enjoy various cultural activities such as theatre, music, circus and folk dance. Football and athletics are popular pastimes, as well as the annual Spartakiad, a sports competition played on a national and school level whose name, unsurprisingly, was inherited from a Soviet-sponsored sporting event. But there is a sense that, like the iconography around them, they have politically been in a state of suspended animation since 1992. Despite vast economic and social transformation seen in many parts of the world since then, particularly in many other post-Soviet European countries, things haven't really changed in the PMR. And until Moldova, Russia or Transnistria makes a really significant change of policy, it is likely that things will stay this way. And so it seems that, for a while longer, The statues of Lenin, and the hammer and sickle flag, won't be going anywhere. Thanks for listening to The Why of Where. This is the final episode in a three part mini-series. Thanks very much to everyone who's listened so far, I've been really pleased with the response. And please do stay subscribed, as I'm planning to produce more episodes later in the year. And if you want to get in touch with feedback or corrections for the show or suggestions for future episodes, feel free to email at, the at gmail.com or find me on Twitter or Instagram at theyofwear. And if you feel like leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or another podcast app, that would also be greatly appreciated. This episode was written and produced by me, Rob Flynn. Music is by Sounds Like an Earful and Blue Dot Sessions. And thanks to Chris Flynn for the podcast artwork. And a special thanks to all of my contributors. Megan. Three. Edward. Kina, Niamh. Mary. Kieran. Joe. Milo. Finbar. Thanks again for listening.